Welcome to Raise Your Average, a hub for those who thrive on market insight, trends, and sagacious investment analysis. Co-hosting with me today is Mike Philbrick, CEO at Resolve Asset Management. Mike? Hey, great. Great to be here. Sagacious. <laughs> I got to get a thesaurus now. <laughs> Our very special guest is the president of SIA Charts, an individual who's become known widely for his keen eye and sharp understanding of the complexities of the global financial market. Mr. Paul Kornfeld. Paul, Hi. welcome back. It's great to have you on for this summer 2023 update. Yeah, thanks so much, Pierre. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be back and look forward to uh, chatting with you guys and sharing some insights on what should we expect this summer? Where is it going to go? Um, what a crazy market. Yeah. I mean, the unexpected is now the expected and um, the world is inside out and upside down or, or is it? I guess you're going to walk <laughs> us through some of the uh, some of the, the navigation techniques that SIA uses and helps uh, financial professionals um, both guide their assets and the assets that they're managing. And um, I like making this a more regular piece because uh, people can sort sort of start to put together the, the framework with which you kind of go through dissecting the market and, and, um, and providing some insights. So, uh, yeah. with that said, what do you got for yeah. us? Well, <laughs> oh, or yeah, go ahead. Wait, Pierre. wait, wait. I, I've got an introduction that I wrote yeah, yeah. just to, just to preface so that, Cancel you know, that. you know what's, so that you know what's coming up, Splice right? Splice that in somewhere. <laughs> in this episode, we'll delve into the vast array of critical market themes and take a deep dive into the most pressing issues of this summer of summer 2023. First off, we're going to discuss the market spring rebirth, which is Paul's look at the geographic regions, both developed and emerging markets through the lens of breadth in different market cap tiers, right down to sector participation. We'll also try to answer the question, is this a new dawn for global markets? Then we'll get on to the wall of worry markets have been climbing. And contrary to popular belief, these aren't necessarily a negative. We'll also touch on the timeless classic, the Dow Jones averages and Dow theory for what signals they're providing. And we'll wrap on a discussion of key themes for investors covering seasonality, mysteries of the VIX and what the sector scopes are saying. We'll cap it all off at the end with an in-depth look at asset classes and sector analysis. So sit back, get comfortable and join us for our chat with one of the industry's finest. While the music's playing, please hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, and leave us your comments. That helps others like you find us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. What's new with you? Welcome. And uh, what's new with you at SIA Charts? Let me know if you can see this. Here we go. Our podcast today. Um, like in prior podcasts that we've done, uh, there's usually... Fancy. <laughs> I've been recording it all morning. Uh, there's usually a visual element that's going to go through it. So we're going to, uh, like Pierre said, go through some uh, lots of charts and uh, lots of analysis. So I don't think we should waste any time. Let's, let's jump right in. Let's do it. So don't think I need to spend too much time here. We know how, how well the markets did for the first half of the year, uh, specifically in the U.S. and specifically the NASDAQ. I don't think anybody saw the NASDAQ having its best first uh, six months of the year since 1983. Um, 
raise your hand if that was uh, your call at the beginning of the year. But um, obviously, we've seen seen that. We're going to dive deeper into that, especially as uh, something I was reading about and um, can't take credit for the name, but found the enormous eight in the S&P uh, 500 that we'll talk about with the IAN, kind of the key IT names out there. Um, and then obviously the, the Bank of Canada raised its rates by uh, 0.25%, up to 5% uh, just last month. Um, some of the inflation pressures continue to ease on the U.S. side of things. And, you know, we're below core inflation now. The rates are are higher than the core inflation. So that's the big kind of uh, takeaway of, of what's next, because obviously the interest rates have been driving the market and all the expectations around that. Uh, Mike, I, I'm sure that you read the news and you're like, oh, bad news came out. The market's going to go down, right? No, nope, the markets go up because now they're going to raise rates again, right? So uh, it, it's been a very interesting last couple of weeks, last couple of months. But kind of looking back on on the spring, we've seen kind of everybody in lockstep raising rates, especially um, the, the chart on kind of the bottom right there. You see kind of everybody playing catch up to um, the Bank of New Zealand, the U.S. Uh, those have been kind of leading the charge in Europe and especially Japan. So I've been on here. They're they're much lower and still trying to play catch up a little bit. But Canada now at five percent, probably you know there for a bit. Um, probably still more. You know, hikes in the future as expected, but you know, it's kind of getting to that peak, getting up to um, that, you know, that place where the market's okay, where inflation is coming down, um, and that's what we're kind of seeing. And then on the left here, we see that core inflation now again below where the the rates have uh, risen in the U.S., and that's usually a core number that people are looking at for those expectations going down. But you can still see hourly earnings are high. CPI is still higher than they they want it to be. The target rate is still much below where it's at, um, and I don't think I was. This is updated for July, but uh, that would be even a, a percent lower. The, the core inflation the last thing on here was four percent. Now it's at three percent in the U.S. So, um, you know, since this came out, this market outlook last week had new information and it continuing to push that down as well. So did you guys kind of have any thoughts on on the rates? Anything you guys want to chime in on as well? Yeah, it, it has been a bit surprising that um, the markets have, have held in so well with um, with the rapid increase in rates. But um, global growth, I guess, is surprising or markets are anticipating that type of earnings growth. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that a little later. Um, it does cause me, you know, pause uh, given the you know, pretty significant returns we've had thus far. But, you know, again, underneath the, the surface and the, the mega eight or, or however you want to uh, call it, there, there's a lot of, of um, stuff happening that needs, um, that, that investors should be aware of, which I think we're going to cover. So I think it's, uh, it's very interesting what's going on. Yeah, you think, Do you think, um, Paul, that the, uh, I mean, I, I just feel like whatever the Fed's telegraphing in its, in its uh, pressers, has already been factored in long, you know, long ago by the market, even though they're still talking about rate hikes. I mean, there were some that were expecting the Fed to pause, but the Fed's basically telegraphing maybe one or two more rate hikes and the markets, you know, sort of brush that off because, because the longer term expectation is that we're, you know, we're going to have a pause at some point it's inevitable, right? Yep. It's just, you know, whether it's a month or two or three from now, uh, doesn't seem to matter and the market's just moving ahead. Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy for sure. Like 
I don't think the question out there in the market so much is, you know, are they going to raise rates, you know, one or two more times? Like that's almost insignificant compared to the question of when are they going to start reducing rates, right? That's yeah. that's when you start seeing the market potentially have much different expectations um, where they're going to have to keep that in balance and in check. And that's that's still a little ways off or, or maybe it's not as, off as uh, far off as we think, but we're still in the rising rate environment. And there's still heightened expectations coming up. And I do have some slides here um, around the corner that will kind of put that into perspective because that was one of the biggest takeaways in my research that I've seen is the expectations going forward are really going to be heightened towards the end of the year. And that's where, you know, for just looking at the summer, it's kind of business as usual. There's, you know, some seasonality and other things that are going to come into play. But after that, in the, in the kind of fall, winter um, time period is where those expectations have now risen so much in the market that companies are really going to have to blow their earnings out of the water. And earnings season's already started and so far so good, actually, in the U.S., but that's got to continue. So, you know, you got to have a much different kind of outlook going forward versus where, you know, if earnings have been suppressed lately, you can beat those earnings and, and then you look great. So I think we're, we're coming up to a time period probably in the fall that that's going to look much different. It's always interesting too the way that they um, the market in general has been hyper focused on when they're going to cut rates, and historically, that's not a particularly wonderful time to be investing. I mean, the <laughs> rate cuts come with challenges and problems. They don't usually come with a you know robust economic growth environment, and and so it's been a bit of a it's been kind of backwards over mm -hmm. the last year, yeah. even to, to have this constant chasing, oh, they're going to cut or they're going to, you know, stop raising or cut. Those things require that something has gone wrong. And if something has gone wrong or gone wrong, meaning there's been some sort of growth shock or some sort of banking shock. And we, we've seen, you know, the, the, the beginnings of some, some of the bank issues, uh, or maybe, maybe we've seen the beginning and end, who knows, but it's just interesting that there has been that narrative um, that that's been pervasive that, oh, let's get the rates down so that these uh, markets can shoot upwards where it's been, as rates have continued to rise, um, you know, stocks have broadly performed very well and, um, you know, bonds have struggled mightily. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And then, yeah, let's jump into the, the geographic regions and, and start taking us through the, the stack. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> definitely got some things to get through. So I think the, just the key takeaway here is obviously the kind of 2022 bear market, you know, bonded out there in October, November, we've been recovering ever since, but certain areas of the market have recovered much faster. Uh, we see kind of that black line is the uh, S&P 500. That's the U.S. It's really done very well, obviously this year, but it's really still below where it started. January, 2022. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind as well is like, we actually still have a little ways to go to even get back up above that level. Same thing in Canada and emerging markets have obviously struggled even more. So they're the lowest one with the most uh, potential. And we are going to take a look at a couple of emerging markets that I kind of um, focused in on that I, I think have some potential. Uh, another couple other ones we can discuss as well, just as a couple takeaways from today for uh, everybody listening of where those, um, where that strength might be coming from. So, you know, this isn't the, the best chart out there, but it does tell you that the, the recovery has been really great so far this year, but there's actually still some room to move. And when we get into uh, some of the chart book uh, areas uh, below, we'll kind of take a look at where some of that strength could be happening. And surprisingly, the NASDAQ still has some room to move. It actually has a better 
kind of yeah. charting outlook than the S&P 500. And I think most people would be shocked to hear that. So those are, again, some of the great, hopefully technical um, takeaways that we can provide on today in, in our conversation. But I think to me, it wasn't so much the ge geographic region that were really standing out. It was the market breadth that really surprised me over the last quarter uh, because the large caps have been leading the way all year long. And you see that in the yellow kind of lineup in this chart. That's the S&P 100, um, obviously having a great start to the year. The S&P 500 is not far behind. But what we saw in June was the, the market breadth of the small cap, mid cap kind of areas of the market, especially we're looking at the U.S. here followed suit. And that's that's great outlook. That's what you want to see in an actual kind of bull market rally is you want to see not just a small segment of the, the population outperforming, you want to see everybody else participating. That gives you more confidence, gives investors more confidence. And we're going to see that in the VIX chart too. There's maybe almost too much confidence now. There's, there's maybe some yeah. complacency out in the market and that can hurt you. Um, but yeah, this was encouraging if, if you're if you're bullish going forward and we want to take advantage of that when the market is in this situation. Uh, but for us, this, this was a good sign to kind of reaffirm our positioning and kind of a, in a favored equity market right now. And again, we want to help people ride that out and, and capture that market breadth as much as possible throughout the summer. Yeah, that, that long longish uh, energy field in the smaller and the smaller cap tiers is interesting where it just goes sideways for that entire time. And then all of a sudden a breakout that's, you know, that pent up, th that looks like angst. Yeah. Yeah. That looks like a fair bit of angst, angst building up for, for, you know, that, that period of what is it? Five months. Yeah. And, from kind uh, of the banking crisis here in late February, March. And that's kind of where there was some small pullback, but recovered quickly. And the small mid caps took a lot longer for that. Right. So that yeah. was kind of that broader index was being hurt by some of the financial stocks there. But we've seen those kind of worries subside for sure as you know, more information comes out and uh, more consolidation with some of the regional banks and less less worries kind of than there maybe was there. I, you know, usually that's the beginning of the end of the cycle. Right when banking crises start, but uh, it, it actually has led to new market highs and new new breadth indicators pointing in the positive direction. So that's not something I would have uh, definitely expected if we had talked in um, mid-March um, when that, all that was happening. Yeah, there was that, that, that sudden shift in, 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 you know, talking heads, talking, you know, just speaking about how market breadth was suddenly improving, you know, it was, it was you know, widening beyond you know, beyond the top 10 names. So interesting chart. Now, I think you'll find this one even interesting though, more interesting, um, because I just talked about the breadth, including uh, improving everywhere. So this is the enormous eight. This is the, uh, the NVIDIA's, the Facebook's, the Amazon's, Netflix, Tesla's, Apple's, Microsoft, and Google as kind of making up about 28.5% of the S&P 500. Um, and even more of the S&P 100 if we looked at that. But they're, they're the biggest base, uh, percent stocks in, in some of them in the world, um, but definitely in the U.S. that are of majority of the returns that you're seeing in those cap-weighted indexes. So the last slide was those cap-weighted indexes. Uh, it's not an equal weight. It's not anything like that, which would look much worse. But there is still that breadth problem, I would say, in the mega caps 
uh, because if you take all those out, the S&P 500 is only up 9% so far this year. And that was as a probably last last week. Um, so not not calculating in maybe Friday's returns or the last couple of days. Uh, but that's, that's a little bit more probably where we all expected it, right? 9%, 9 to 10% kind of return so far this year. That's actually in line with the small cap ETF. That's what's happening with the, um, I use the iShares IJR ETF. Again, they're basically the same on this chart. The S&P 500 is double what the small cap area is. But if you take out these eight um, companies that I've listed, they're actually the same return. So that's also, if you haven't been investing in these strong technology names, you're basically in a small cap ETF and, and kind of in line with the rest of the market. But that shows you the opposite side of what I just said. Yeah, even though the breadth has improved, it's still nowhere near kind of what yeah. we would like to see. And then obviously a lot of these are influenced by the artificial intelligence conversation um, and outlook there and, and heightened expectations going forward of what that's going to do to these companies. Uh, and a lot of these companies were beat up a lot last year, right? So some of them are just kind of making back, but now a lot of them are, are way past that and, and outperforming by a wide margin. So um, the enormous eight, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're definitely been leading the market and it isn't as broad as we all wanted to be. But over the last month, that whole market has improved and that's what gives us more encouragement here going forward. Wow. So kind of looking at, you know, the last uh, quarter, this is uh, looking at the banking kind of stocks that we talked about. Um, again, for anybody listening to the podcast, uh, what we're looking at is some of the regional banks and different ETFs um, in the regional areas. Um, also, just the overall insurance and broker dealers. And what we've seen is some recovery, but there's still quite a ways to go. Uh, if we looked at the Canadian banks, they would basically, you know, be flat uh, as well, kind of at the top. And actually that's what the, the yellow or the, the gray background is showing. So very encouraging for the Canadian banking uh, segment that really, they took a little bit of hit in end of March or kind of mid-March, just like everybody else did. But you can see the strength of the Canadian banking financial market is much different than the U.S. Uh, we don't really have the same regional bank structure. Uh, they're much different kind of liquidity requirements, all those kind of things. So again, it kind of puts it in perspective of, of where we are. There's not really a financial crisis um, from a banking standpoint in, in Canada, and really there isn't in the U.S. We've already started to see some of that recovery um, and it still has a ways to go. But some of the major kind of insurance and, and, and areas have been doing much better. Um, you know, some of the daily stock reports that we've been writing that are featured on Advisor Analyst uh, have been insurance companies recently. I was looking at some breakout potential uh, names within those sectors, right, so just recently. So, um, again, there's there's potential opportunities there. Not too much kind of analysis here to go through. Um, so the next slide is looking at the different Dow Jones averages. And really the major takeaway here, just to, to save time to get through some better stuff, is the transportation uh, average has was really on fire in, in, in June. Um, while the utilities has continued to underperform, um, the green line there is the, the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average that everybody sees. Again, kind of going back to the beginning of the year, it's not up as, as much as the S&P there in, in the gray that's up around you know, 15 to 18%, depending on which state uh, you picked as your end, end point. Um, but we've really seen the transports turn around and the defensive ones have continued to be an underperforming area. Utilities are our, our lowest ranked sector or bottom two. 
in both Canada and the U.S. and any area we continue to stay away from. So obviously, if that cycle starts changing, we're going to see those defensive stocks, those defensive areas start ticking up some of the money flow coming out of technology, out of consumer discretionary, out of some of these um, communication services that have done very, very well so far this year and flow into different uh, segments of the market. So again, just, you know, the cyclical cycle of the transports definitely has soared, but, um, you know, the industry, the industrials that are usually more value-based um, have continued to, to climb at a steady pace, but not nearly the, the same way that the S&P or the NASDAQ has. And we, we just looked at why, you know, it's really that those small companies have been driving most of that market outperformance. So this, this is the chart here that you love, um, this is looking yeah. at the sector scopes, the flow into the markets, and this is getting a little worrisome for us, uh, when everything piles up on the right-hand side, uh, which, you know, things are overbought, those sectors are going to move back to the middle. I looked at this just even a week ago and it wasn't as bad as it is now. So on the very short term, we would expect some outflows of the market in probably the next couple of weeks, maybe over the next month, uh, especially in the areas of kind of real estate, uh, manufacturing. Again, there's a lot over there, electronics and semiconductors, chemicals, energy, things like that. The, the ones that aren't, um, that are kind of in that middle frame or, or the healthcare drugs, telecommunications, utilities, food, and, you know, the more um, defensive stocks aren't overbought right now, and there will be some outflow of there. But again, these things can kind of stay over there a little bit longer, but we definitely don't like to see things that far over with probably about half the sectors kind of in that overbought territory. So on a short term, very short term basis, next couple of weeks, um, there'll probably will be some kind of outflows back to the middle. That's just normal market movement. And when we look at the next slide here, which talks about the seasonality of the market, uh, July is usually a positive month historically. The blue line there that you might see is the historical average over the last almost 40 years, um, since 1987, of the um, Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, last year is depicted in the red. And this year so far, the S&P 500 is in the uh, purple color. That just kind of shows you kind of where the, the averages have been and where the outliers. So the biggest outlier was in June that we just talked about. Usually that's a negative month. We saw huge inflows into the market um, and a, a direct um, difference, a, a, over a 10% difference from last year in the Dow Jones um, industrial average. So that was a big kind of, again, we just looked at all the markets and, and how well they did over that time period. And now we're kind of moving into what's usually a positive July. And so far, you know, so good. Now this is to July 7th. So if we updated it to July 17th, we would see even a positive performance so far in July. But the thing to consider here is the next couple months. Historically, August and September are not positive months in the market. Historically, the last quarter of the year is a positive time for the market. And we saw that last year um, with extreme kind of moves up in, in October and November, and then kind of a tax loss harvesting in December uh, to, to finish off the year. So, you know, I, I love this chart because it does put in historically, we're, we're not, we're not a, you know, a seasonality kind of, you know, company and, and like, we don't yeah. bet all our, our things in this basket because the historical averages are just that they're averages. There's always outliers. However, I think it's very important to see where we are in the market 
think Pierre or Mark Giori, um, or Mike Giori touched on it in terms of, hey, what are we expecting for the rest of the summer? Well, I hope yeah, this chart kind of puts it in perspective. <laughs> we just looked on the short term, how we're overbought, and the next two months historically are underperformers comparatively. So um, yeah. we're, we're kind of saying that, well, yeah, we're still in a good equity market. Things are moving up, but also don't be surprised if you have an underperforming quarter or just even a flat quarter or a little bit slightly down. That's just kind of normal movement for this time of year. I think the big test is next quarter when expectations will be heightened, things like that um, is going to matter a lot more. Can we outperform the historical market averages, have a good strong finish to the year? And then what does that mean going forward, right? So yeah. the summer is kind of a, a wait and see um, till again, you know, all the, all the Fed and everything, you know, there's less meetings, there's less of this stuff going on, less economic news. There's still earnings coming on over the next couple of weeks. But what do you guys think of the seasonality? Is this something that you well, guys well, look at and consider? I think I think for quite some time, you know, seasonality, um, like fundamentals, was very difficult to to follow. Yep. And uh, I, I I'm not sure if it's changed, but you know I, I think. I think that that now that we have, you know, now that we're in a period where rates matter again and inflation is an issue and, you know, there's a lot more sensitivity to some of those uh, seasonal movements than there was, say, two years ago or or, or farther back. Um, I wanted to share an interesting note, like Jer Jared Dillon from The Tenth Man and uh, Dirt, Dirt Nap, uh, he, he had an interesting comment, and that was that we went we went from... You know, first of all, he says, I think that stocks have peaked in the near term. I think that we could have a correction of 10 to 12%. That may not sound like much, but it will come as a surprise to a lot of people and things will get pretty bumpy. We went from believing that inflation was undefeated to defeated in nine months. Mm -hmm. um, he goes on, over that time, the stock market has rallied over 20%. There's a lot of complacency out there. It's the summer. People are having a good time. They don't see the need to hedge. People aren't doing a lot of thinking about how to insure against the downturn right now. And um, I think that sort of goes nicely with with where I think you're going with this, Paul, which is that, you you know, this is a time to start being cautious and start looking at at how things might change very quickly. If, uh, you know, if sentiment shifts, it won't take very much. And I think the, um, just coming back to the seasonality, we certainly use seasonality, um, throughout our, our, uh, investment suite across the various, uh, products and instruments. And what we found is it is different for different, um, areas of the market. So seasonality isn't quite the same as in gold as it is in equities, et cetera. So that's something to be aware of when you're, when you're looking at, at, um, indicators like this and they are, you know, but. You have, let's say you have 20 years of, of indication of what seasonality is that can still leave you with an outlier, yep. um, as, as you mentioned, but what's interesting is it's, it's about putting the little pebbles on the scale and sort of seeing where you, where you fit. It should not be seasonality, um, or any single indicator will have some weaknesses. So you want to build an ensemble. And I think that's, you know, what, what you're doing here, Paul, is you're saying, Hey, look, Everything is over on the, on the right side of the chart, suggesting that things are a little <laughs> bit overbought and a little yep. bit exuberant. We are coming into what might be, you know, typically could be a weak seasonal patch. So, you know, you've got your strategic asset allocation, your, your tactical and your dynamic. So in that little bit of dynamic, 
when you're thinking at the very edge of, of, you know, your trading principle, um, you know, maybe you are, should be tightening up your risk levels, tightening up your stops, if you will, taking some small profits, putting some cash on the sideline. This is not an all or none proposition. Generally, sure. it looks like things are in the right direction, but you know, it could get bumpy here for the next quarter. So it's, it's just something pebbles on the scale, weighing it all together and then, and then bringing that, um, art to the science. So you've got a framework and then you've got some indications of what's going on. So that, that's what is appealing to me. You're looking at mm -hmm. this problem from several different, um, viewpoints and then realizing that it's not an all or none, um, scenario. So, so far so good. I, I think, you know, I generally agree that the seasonality through the summer will be interesting to see. Um, and, and, um, you know, right now it looks like it's tilted to having maybe a little bit more challenge than, than opportunity. That's not to say it's going to collapse, yeah. but keep going. Cause I think you've got some other thoughts on this as well. There's, there's other pebbles that uh, line up on the scale as well. So let's keep, uh, let's keep weighing this out. Yeah. It's a good time just to your point, Mike, it's a good time to, uh, think about rebalancing some of those, some of those yeah, high flyers. You know, it's, it's the old football analogy. Should we yeah. have the offense on the field? Should we have the defense on the field? Is it special teams? Are we down, you know, with our backs against our end zone or are we in, in scoring range? Are we in the 20 yard line of our opponent or are we yeah. in our own 20 yard line? And th those would change the calls you make right now. It sounds like offense is on the field kind of looking like maybe midfield, you know, not too much to be concerned mm -hmm. about, but you know, the things can always go wrong. Absolutely. But let's keep going. Yeah, no, great points. And like you said, there is outliers, right? And yeah. those outliers can, you know, be different from year to year. We saw it just in, in the last seasonality chart. But this is kind of looking over all the S&P 500. Um, the sentiment here is that things are going to change. I think that going forward, especially you see kind of this is um, from Backset's uh, earnings insight that the quarter four is going to have much higher earnings expectations and this quarter it's it's really kind of flatlined but still much different than what quarter two was um so that's why i kind of pointed out that i think quarter four is where we're going to see really where the market is going from there are we at kind of peak kind of fed rate increases are we at the, the seasonality kind of that we've seen historically or are we going to have uh, maybe again an outlier kind of finish to the year where it's going to be harder to outperform those expectations uh this summer we might just be fine as companies continue to outperform and so far so good in the earnings season. But this kind of gives me a little pause as well, you know, another pebble to consider as we uh, go forward here, even in a, a kind of a pause, the equity environment. And the next slide kind of breaks this earnings expectation down by sector. And so, you know, there's some interesting kind of tidbits here as well. So the, the kind of middle uh, of the road there is kind of the overall average of the S&P 500 at about 8%. Uh, that we just looked at um, for the last quarter of the year. But where it's really heightened expectations comes from four, really four sectors, uh, communication services all the way up to 36%, followed by utilities at 26, consumer discretionary at 21, and then information technology at 12. So a couple of takeaways for me here is information technology has been the best performing sector by far to start the year. And it actually doesn't have unrealistic, huge expectations going forward because people still see the value of these tech companies and, and, and kind of that, that potential of all companies moving towards more AI, more tech kind of going forward. Um, I'm very shocked to see utilities. And I'd love to get your thoughts here of how heightened their expectations are 
at 26% and, and why such a defensive um, sector would be have such high expectations compared to some of the other ones, like, the, again, that are having a great start to the years with the exception of utilities. Well, I mean, I think utilities fall under that. Um, two, two things would be my guess. One is the capital flows, i.e. it's boring. So um, we're just going to sell those. The other is, you know, utilities are subject to duration <laughs> and they're subject to the yield curve. It, uh, more often than not, because they're often semi-regulated businesses whose profit margin is determined by some calculation um, with respect to the, the underlying service provided in a utility context. And we have seen, you know, sort of bonds pretty much struggle mightily across duration. Uh, and that's due to the interest rates. But it is it is interesting that the earnings expectations would be so high. So I can mm -hmm. sort of fathom why the price is struggling. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm interested to to know why that their, their profit margins are going to be that much higher. Is it because the potential input prices for the energy that they're using in certain circumstances is providing a boon to um, what, you know, analysts expected previously. So that that's kind of the thinking. I mean, certainly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been a sort of wrong or offbeat being a little bit more conservative from the, from the first half of the year and saying, hey, you know, you, you can get four to 5% and take no risk in, in a number of different vehicles. And with volatility higher, it's something that you should consider across your portfolio. Um, just to make sure that you are in a zone of volatility where you can tolerate the drawdowns. We all know that if you get your portfolio too volatile and then find yourself in a drawdown and then react to that drawdown, you you crystallize the risk and you don't really get the return. So you always want to be constantly aware of your total portfolio volatility and with the correlation of bonds and stocks a little bit higher lately. So that that's something that you know, I've probably been, well, I've been a little bit wrong on. It's not, again, it's not an all or none bet, um, but it's something that, you know, you, you want to make sure you're managing risk throughout the portfolio at the same time as you're allocating the sectors. But it, it really is, I agree. It's something that would be worth a little bit more digging. For sure. So, but, I mean, does it have anything to do with the, like, if you look energy at the, uh, at the far side, uh, the, the far right side, minus 24.1%. Mm. expectations being that energy prices have fallen, right? That's your yep. input cost that you mentioned. Yeah. So the margins, the margins are expected to go up on utilities as their prices are changing modestly versus the dropping price of energy inputs. Yeah. It seemed to be it's an outlier, a, but when you connect those two, it, it makes a little bit more sense. And, yeah. and even if you're just making an energy play as a sector, that seems to be something to, to keep an eye on as we go throughout the, the rest of the year. Commodities and a lot of the energy, especially natural gas and crude oil have been beaten up a lot this year. Um, we'll take a look at them again at the, the very end if we have time, but it's definitely a sector to keep an eye on in terms of potential outperformance or surprises or earnings beat because we could see some big moves up. We already started to see some of those actually in our TSX 60 rankings. Uh, we've seen some energy stocks starting to move up a bit. So Again, a small move in the energy kind of commodity area can impact quite a few sectors. Obviously, we talked about transportation earlier, utilities in this slide, energy as a whole. Uh, definitely the things that have worked so far this year, some of them will continue to work. And others, I think this is a, a good kind of chance to reassess uh, where that potential cult performance could come from. And it seems like materials and energy, even though they're the lowest on this scale, have that best potentially cult performance potential at the current valuation.
they also seem to be lagging too. Like there's no, you know, and utilities in particular, they all kind of look messy. There's no relative strength. Yeah. There's no clear, like I haven't gone through and looked at every stock, but if you look at, you know, sort of from a top down and say, say, okay, well, let's look at some equal weight. Let's look at some, um, uh, uh um, cap weighted, Let, let's look at, you know, through the utilities complex. There's, you know, from a price perspective, there's nothing urgent, it seems. We don't have any kind of particular breakouts. I don't have any breakdowns. It's kind of a shitty sort of range that's slightly, you know, going maybe upper left to lower right. You know, trend's not great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that's that's where you want to have your one of your eyeballs um, um, tuned because those things change. And if you look at, you know, XLB as an example in sort of that, materials that's the, the u.s uh ticker um you know it's got this this nice kind of range and you know there is um some potential buy points to watch for in that area that you know as things evolve that that might cause one to to venture into an exposure and then within that area actually there 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 is a very diverse set of of um you know, sort of, of of different types of equities that are are having different performance characteristics. So there are um, some of the equity constituents within the XLB that are at new highs, quite substantial new highs, um, which is is just that is that you know is the fund flows right? <laughs> Where's money going? Yeah. And this is and the, when money goes someplace and it dis, it leaves, let's say it's leaving utilities in this case and going to you know. Um, technology as as we looked at earlier on on the on your um your graphs you see that in the, in the in the manifestation of the charts so it's um it's it's really interesting there's definitely some things to keep an eye on and um some risk to manage for sure perfect yeah i just pulled up that chart as you're talking about it so it's a little late but um exactly what you're talking about sir pierre did you have some comments no on this i was little? just it's thought-provoking there's so many there's so many uh complexities and moving parts to, any, to consider. Do, you, do you have any thoughts, um, Paul, from the perspective of Q1 2024 and the earnings expectations? Because I suppose, you know, the markets are looking forward one or two quarters, which over this season is going to translate into, you know, Q1 2024 and Q2 2024 as we move into the, in the end of the year. And that's where, you know... Um, if you look at Yardini, he's coming in, you know, probably half of what the estimates are for, uh, for growth anyway, um, on earnings for that quarter. So I think estimates are around 60 bucks okay. and he's coming in at 57, you know, percentage wise and change. Anyway, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if that's the ship that you're alluding to as well, as we get into the next quarter. We're going to stop looking at Q4. We're going to start looking at Q1 and Q2. And and those comps are a little harder. Yeah, exactly. And I, we don't do predictions. We don't do any of those outlooks just because, you know, you're wrong yeah, fair pretty enough, much fair every enough. time. But I love looking at kind of what the, the whole industry is, is also looking at for those expectations. Because this was shocking to me to just see, okay, the market is going to have to outperform by a healthy margin just to meet everybody's expectations. And that's what it's all at. I mean, how many times have you seen an earnings report that, okay, great, their year-over-year sales were good, their um, revenue's good, you know, like they're checking all the boxes that you want to see, um, and then their outlook's a little bit less than what the estimates out there have in the tank stocks by 8%. Like, those are the kind of surprises that we don't want to see and, and, and can really 
you know, move the market quickly, um, just all based on high expectations because the market's gone up so much. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what Q1 kind of looks like for this. I'd have to spend a little bit oh, more yeah, time no, no there, worries. but, um, I, I actually have it exactly backwards. Yeah. Um, Yardini's actually, um, more bullish and okay. the consensus is, is less bullish, but it's inter It's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Let's keep going. Oh yeah. yeah I, th I, I think he was talking about the, uh, the, Yardini's main point was that there's so much money, there's the, there's $10 trillion in, 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 you know, in the market since, since COVID. Right. And it, and it hasn't, it, he, he, he basically thinks that it hasn't worked its way through yet in support of, in support of what you, you just said, Mike. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and then the, the weird thing about increasing interest rates is remember, as you increase rates, that means those who have the money are paying more to those who borrowed the money. And so in an environment where we have such a tremendous amount of debt and that debt, those owners of the debt are actually reaping the benefits of that extra cash flow. And so it's not the same as the seventies when you had a low amount of debt and you could curtail the business cycle by increasing rates in a large fashion. Um, I think it's about 20 or 20% of the world's treasuries are owned by these, you know, um, China and, and, and those Russia, those types of, of countries. That's only a very small portion. That's a reasonable portion, but then there's all of the government bodies that own that debt and the, the, the insurance companies, pension funds, and, and, and all those types of institutions that are actually receiving more cash outside of a zero interest rate policy. So it, it actually paints the central banks into a bit more of a corner. Um, with trying to use increasing rates to actually slow an economy. But, but that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Absolutely. Just another pebble on the, on the tray, like you said, and, and here's one more, right? We see, you know, what, what we think is kind of a little bit of consumer complacency, right? We're seeing the VIX kind of move down, which again, if you're just along in the market and, and you're happy, this is in your way on vacation already, uh, which a lot of people when they hear this recording might be. Um, you know, you're gonna, you know, everything's good in the market, but what historical averages show is this bounce bounces back. What we don't want to see is probably at under that 10 kind of percent level. Um, and it's already at the lowest level it's been since 2020. And that, that wouldn't be what I would think when I would hear 2023 and everything that's gone on with, you know, war in Ukraine and, um, banking crisis earlier this year, right? Like to have this low of, um, kind of a VIX is, it was a little shocking when I looked at the, the, the chart. So, you know, obviously this will bounce back to what level is and what extent, you know, are we going to see? But again, it's just one more level of information that, again, we should expect something here. We shouldn't um, be dropping to, you know, 2017, 18 kind of lows um, back then. Like this is uh, the trend it's been in over the last couple of years, probably where it'll kind of revert back to a little bit. So again, it's just one more thing to kind of think about as we go into the summer that um, there probably will and be some pullback in the market. But as I say that there's, we're still at one of our highest levels in our, in our kind of um, risk management tool. How, uh, when we look at it, this is, uh, I, I, I love that, uh, that dichotomy, by the way, you know, <laughs> that's, um, that's consumer confidence yeah. or, or complacency. It reminds yeah. me of, you know, shy or snobbish or, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, humble or shameless. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, you got to worry. It's, it's most likely it feels like it's the latter, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, be careful. Exactly. Yeah. 
So this is the, a risk management tool that we looked at just comparing all the different asset classes against each other, the money flows internationally. And, you know, we've moved up to kind of one of the highest levels where U.S. equity is number one and international is number two, followed by cash, followed by Canadian equity. So we have equities in the kind of top three out of four rankings. And kind of this is what it's looked like over the last couple of years, where obviously in uh, June and September last year, we saw the market pull back and we, we got very defensive. And overall, from a risk management standpoint, that was the, the right call. But as we know, the markets were pretty volatile. They had some sharp moves back in and out. Uh, but to start the year, it's been pretty much all in the greens. It has all been in the green zone all year long. So, you know, no matter what kind of market you're in, whether that's international here in the yellow or U.S. in the in the black or Canada, uh, you're, you're making money throughout that, that whole time period, even if we snapshot beginning of uh, January here. Um, but the gap here is definitely widened between the U.S. and Canada. And then it was already U.S. was ranked above US, uh, Canada throughout the time um, in our system, uh, especially recently. Um, but now that's really, again, wider. We saw that in the breadth of the U.S. Again, Canada really hasn't had that same kind of outlook going forward. And part of the reason is because we're so commodity based, right? We talked about materials and energy being so much weakened or expectations much lower. Well, those haven't been realized yet, right? The, they're the lower for a reason. The outlooks are uh, worse off when you look at any of the individual commodities. Doesn't mean that can't turn around, but that's you know one of the many reasons the U.S. is much more um, kind of healthcare focused, more IT focused, uh, much more consumer discretionary focused than than Canada is, where we're more finance, materials, and energy, right? So that's why we've seen this breakout internationally. Again, there's still lots of great opportunities out there. Uh, but, you know, this is something that kind of, if you're just invested in Canada, there's, you're losing out on the opportunities uh, elsewhere throughout the world and especially even just south of the border here. So it's been a great call signal, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if all you did was just stick to the equity action call this year, you know, you'd be very happy right now yep. and uh, just keep your eye on it. Right. Exactly. And again, we don't make predictions. This is just where it is right now and, and how we want to, how we want to position ourselves. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. I mean, you've got this agnostic, you know, call, call system, which just, you know, it tells you what to do, not what to think. And, um, I, I think the problem is, you know, we, many of us probably have overthought, overthought the beginning of this year and, and, uh, what did it get us? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's okay to be, I'm not saying it's okay to be cautious, but, you know, mm -hmm. overcautious is uh, very costly. <laughs> and so this slide is, is taking a look at our relative strength rankings. I know we've looked at some of them before, but this is, again, one of the ones we use just for a kind of a global outlook of every, everywhere you could put your money, right? So I'm um, right at the top, you know, it's, it's exactly the market that we just talked about, right? We have global, Europe, international, U.S., um, you'll see U.S. small cap much lower ranked in this list because, again, uh, even we can help with relative strength, clearly find that we want to be a large cap over small cap. Again, just recently has that started to change, but um, overall, it's still been a very clear case. Now, you see Canadian small cap above U.S. small cap, and that's kind of interesting to me. But, you know, overall, Canada is lower from an asset class standpoint. We see the energy markets, again, natural resources kind of moving down. We see alternatives, things like that moving up um, and, you know, overall, you know, North American equity, some of these emerging markets, there's, there's starting to be some of those trends. So this is just a monthly trend 
kind of movement overall up. Um, but it is just kind of interesting to take a look from a, you know, a top down of all the places you could put your money out there. Um, you know, we really not seen fixed income move up. Like, you know, we all maybe thought that we'd have that bounce back this year. We're still waiting for that. And that will definitely change the market once um, that comes in, if it ever does come in. But uh, historically with its terrible performance, historically bad performance last year, you know, we, that's an area to keep an eye on if, if those, um, that does change. But again, that's going to be when rates stop rising and either plateau or, or start dropping, right? We'll see those bond valuations uh, come in much differently mm-hmm. rankings here than they have been. So again, continue to stay away from areas of underperformance and try to ride uh, where where that analysis is. Uh, any kind of comments or kind of things on this? If not, I'll move into kind of sector analysis, both in Canada and the US and kind of what's what to look at going forward. We already touched on a lot of those um, already, but didn't want to jump ahead if you guys had any thoughts here. I think it's interesting. I think you mentioned the previous slide, cash was actually ranking okay yeah. compared to these other um, investment vehicles. So, so to your point, Pierre, that is about risk management. You know, how I, if I can get a 5% or 4% yield with no volatility in the portfolio, how, you know, how much should I be having a little bit more cash or it, it's a different equation than previous, the previous decade, mm-hmm. right? The previous decade was I got zero mm-hmm. or I could go invest. Yeah. Now it's, I can actually get a yield, whatever it is between three and 5%, depending on how you want to look at it in, in, in sort of less than one year paper yep. and out to two year paper. And so that, that's competition for the other asset classes. And, you know, it, it's ranking highly again, none of these are all or none. It's just these, these continued pebbles on the scale on, on the, you know, how you want to risk manage your portfolio. Absolutely. So I thought I'd take the next kind of two minutes to look at Okay, what's what Canada look like going forward over the next kind of month, next quarter? Um, you know, we talked about information technology. It's going to be number one on on both both markets, uh, and it's pretty, pretty. down at the bottom we see utilities, we see healthcare, we see real estate. Again, healthcare is so small in Canada um, that we are seeing big monthly performance, but again, that's mostly because of a takeover and performance of one stock with BHC. Um, so again. It's different on, on the U.S. side with actually higher, but then it's more well-rounded as a sector. But again, we, we see the biggest move up. It's been financials, just some of that recovery. And also, I think Canadian financials are positioned very well. It's at a BMO conference um, just last week, and they are very bullish on financials as a, as a whole in a sector. And I agree with a lot of their points, right? There is um, definitely some opportunities there to keep an eye on, and it's moving up in our rankings into the top kind of half. And uh, something that, you know, the banks have been very steady, very, um, like you said, they're, they're making those spreads no matter what the rates are, right? So um, who, was, who, was, who, was, who was bullish on financials, Belsky? Uh, well, he's bullish on everything. Um, I was listening to uh, portfolio managers, um, Alfred Lee and um, yeah, yeah. Matt, um, I can't say his last name starts with an M, and then uh, Chris as well. So a lot of their PMs. Peaks. Yeah. Um, great, what great, was, great conference, great information. And what, what were the thoughts on loan loss provision? So, I mean, that, that's probably the, the, the real estate market and, and those types of challenges are the things I would, um, having lived through the nineties the with the banks post the early nineties savings and loan, which then bled into some things in, in Canada, which were quite challenging for, you know, almost a decade for banks with 
you know, sort of constant loan loss provisions coming in greater than expected. Is there any commentary on that? Yeah, they, they did talk about it briefly. Don't remember all their, their conversation around it, but they did mention it as okay. Cause I think one of the questions from the audits was along that, and they basically said that like, Hey, it kind of came in as expected. So even, even with the loan laws kind of provisions coming in and, and it's kind of part of their analysis and they're just outperforming in other areas of their, um, their, their business, right? Like their asset management, it's growth and the, you know, on the other side of it, the institutional, the bowling side, the trading side, I think it's just making up for any of the other aspects of the economy right now that they obviously could change, but it wasn't a concern and it wasn't, didn't come up as a red flag from them. Um, kind of going forward, but doesn't mean it's not a consideration, right? No, absolutely. Not, well, yeah. expectations are on point with expectations and, exactly. you know, it's, it's the expectations that matter. The expectations that get priced in, it's, <clears throat> you know, if they are realized, um, you know, on expectation, then there shouldn't be any price change at all. Yep. Um, it's if they come in better or worse than expectations that you have an adjustment in price. So it'll be interesting to see, maybe, maybe that's built in and that's why the stocks have languished, you know, or, or been flat. Yep. Um, over the last uh, sort of six months or so. It's interesting. The, the real estate market's obviously been very hit by the rising rates. And um, I'm based out of Calgary. So uh, most, most people you talk to are probably in the East Coast and Toronto, Montreal area. But the um, the real estate market here is, is booming in a way. Uh, the, you know, June and, and May were some of the best months out here. And that, that was very surprising to hear. But we're just getting a lot of inflow from other provinces, a lot of immigration, uh, a lot of job opportunities. So the, the housing markets booming is the wrong word, but it's, it's increasing, it's rising as opposed to other areas of Canada. So it's, again, it's kind of that offset, right? Like there's always an area of about performance that we want to help you find. And even within the real estate market, you can see that in, in Canada and in the U S we, we kind of look at it, get no surprise what the, the top names are assumed discretionary has been very strong. Um, obviously over the last, uh, over the last quarter, last months. And guess what's down there at the bottom? Utilities, real estate, financials is much lower on, on the U.S. side, but we can see some of that recovery that we looked at earlier. Um, and energy continues to kind of underperform so far. But we just talked about those expectations going forward. It could be an area to keep an eye on too. So again, hopefully some some great takeaways for people that are listening and, and watching. Um, again, definitely check out the YouTube video if you haven't, uh, because there'll be a lot of great slides in here with lots of great information uh, visually that you can um, see a little bit better than hearing it just out of the podcast. So right. if I'm not doing a good enough job explaining it over the podcast, just, uh, Pierre, just remind me as we go on. No, here. you're doing great. Yeah. Um, so I thought I would pause here and get your guys insight, but I definitely had some, some more information I could go through, um, you know, from a more technical perspective. And this is looking at the charts and kind of some takeaways, um, from each one of them, but this is starting to get pretty technical using point figure charts. So again, I'm happy to explain even what one of these charts looked like and why we use it. Um, and then, you know, maybe just for sake of time, we can highlight a, a couple from each segment. Um, I definitely want to talk about the uh, S&P 500 and NASDAQ of, of those potential growth opportunities there and some of the international markets. And then uh, again, look at the, um, you know, some of the weakness of the commodity charts to, to finish off, but. How are we doing on time? How do you guys want to kind of go forward here? Let's do it. I think yeah. everyone's going to be excited about the, um, the, the, the major indices and things like that. Okay, perfect. So just real quick, uh, what we do here at SI Charts is we look at point and figure uh, charts and, and we use comparison charts to compare different asset classes, different sectors, different investments against each other. What we're going to look at here in the next kind of 15, 20 minutes 
just individual charts because it still helps us understand the money flow that's happening, that supply and demand relationship. So every X that you see on a chart represents a certain percent move. In this case, we're looking at a 4X of currency, US dollar versus Canadian dollar. So every X on this chart represents a 1% move and every O on the chart represents a, a 1% negative uh, move. So some of the other charts we'll look at, like uh, crude oil down the road, you might see at three in the top right-hand corner. That's, so every X in that box is going to represent a 3% move. And we use that just to kind of match the volatility of the stock or index or Forex or a future that we're looking at just to give us a better outlook. So this chart is looking at kind of last 14, 15 years. And we're really seeing the Canadian or US dollar come off. Uh, this is also going to affect the, the gold chart that we look at here in a little bit too. Um, but what this is kind of giving us is some points that we might expect the price to move down to and either pause and rebound from or just to uh, points of kind of interest. So our first support level that we talk about, which is that green line is at 128.93. It kind of what that means is we would expect that that price uh, to pause there because I don't know, five or six times in the past history of just the last 14 years, it's had trouble going through that level. And that kind of prior resistance is now turning into support. So that's kind of, you know, we're only expecting a 1% move down till it holds and potentially kind of reverses from there just based on normal price movement. Um, and then also if it fails to hold at that level, we provide another support level at 125 to kind of let you know, okay, it probably, if it fails here, it's going to continue moving down another 3%. And this is the another kind of short-term price objective to look at. On the opposite side, you see those red lines, those are resistance lines. That's kind of where we'd expect if it does reverse off of that, where it could move up to um, in based on its prior price movement and where it maybe has trouble moving past that level, including the high from the year as another resistance level at 139. So really the range that we're looking at kind of going forward is between that 128 to 138 level. Yeah, we're not making predictions. We're just trying to help understand kind of where it is. And we have other scores and indicators to help understand that, yeah, the short-term outlook is weakened from a seven to a four on our, our levels. And so again, it's not very bullish going forward for the US dollar, but obviously there's lots of things that come into play. So that's kind of how to read this chart the next one, though, I'll move through a little bit faster. Um, and then please just interject if you guys have any other thoughts I, on the dollar or kind of things going forward here, too. I think it's I think it's really interesting just to observe the the, you know, the some of the time expansions and compressions that take place in in the charting, like because you're you know, you're not you're not paying uh, attention to time as you are like the focus Correct. is on price price act you know uh you know the price activity and um so when you see these you know long periods of of where you know like you can see at the bottom the, the time scale is is uh you know it's sometimes it's wider sometimes it's narrower yep uh that's very interesting and then your your observation too that 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 uh you know that long green line that you have going straight across represents um you know a, a support a long-term support at, at 128, uh, between 128 and 125, uh, as, as key and yeah. why that's key, but, but that, that the chart actually allows you to see it over a much longer period of time, Absolutely. uh, in a linear fashion. Um, so it, it takes technical analysis to another level. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't matter 
to us when that price movement happens. And, and you made a really good point that I didn't explain that down here below is the years. So this represents yeah. the beginning of 2009. If you go straight up from there and you see a one, that represents where it started in January. And then if you see a two, three, four, five, those are just the next four or five months of the year. And then if you see kind of a ABC, we just ran out of numbers. That, um, so we're, yeah. those represent the last quarter, October, November, December of the year. So you can kind of see like 2009 was very volatile, obviously, um, with the with the dollar, with things going on. But after that, it, it starts compressing a little bit. Certain years, there might not be any price movements. You might not even see a certain number or something here. You see a two, three, four, five, kind of where's the six? Well, it was hidden. Nothing happened in that month yeah. um, prior. So you're not going to find it on the chart. Um, because the seven overlaps on top of it. So it, it, it really just maps what actually matters, which is price movement, which is that supply and demand relationship uh, between the two. Now, currency is a, a currency pair. It's a little bit different. Uh, looking at kind of fixed income and the 20 year on, on the US side, it's been very range bound. And that's kind of the main takeaway from here. Just looked at this today because I was expecting it to maybe break out. This, this to us is a, a very whatever breakout happens, it's going to be substantial. And that's the main takeaway from this. Right now, it's showing some weakness. Uh, right now, it's been very range bound between 108 and down on the, the lower side, 96. And it's just been bouncing back all year. So once it does break out, we usually see bigger moves. And when that consolidation, it's all like a spring, right? Like you kind of push that spring together yeah. and then it's going to explode one way. Not, not every time, but you look back historically and you see, okay, period of consolidation, and then big moves down and, and then even a bigger move back up um, or okay, consolidation, move up, consolidation, move up, right? So we're seeing that where it is right now. And um, again, we're not making predictions of where it's going to go, but based on the current trend, we'll see if it retests its low and, and moves back down or or if this is where it jumps off of um, kind of going forward again. Lots of things going on with the fixed income market. Yeah. But, you know, that, that's why I like putting this into perspective and why you know, we look back, we'll look ahead, you know, if we do this again next quarter, we can look back on this chart, say, okay, we, we knew that they was about to explode one way or the other, or, or maybe it's just continuing to be range bound and we have the same analysis at a quarter from now, right? So uh, these are the charts that we look at every day, not every day, but, you know, almost every day that we're looking at for analysis on a weekly, monthly basis to provide value and kind of what, what actually matters, what should we be looking at? So it's interesting. Uh, just to add to that, sure. uh, we recently spoke to Hugh Hendry, and he actually referred to TLT as a coiled spring. Yep. Just to you, just to to exactly. echo what you just said. I mean, it 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 it's rhyming with what you said. But seeing the the price activity oscillate, um, you know, in that range right now, it's almost as though you know people are are you know investors markets are are winding up for something. Exactly. Getting, getting ready for the, uh, getting ready for the, the, you know, melt up or <laughs> meltdown. Melt or melt down. Meltdown. We'll, yeah. We'll it's, see. uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. very, that's very, that's an interesting one that the tilts. Yeah. Um, these next two slides, what I want to do is kind of compare them because obviously the U S done very well this year. It's our number one asset class in our rankings. Um, it's had a very, especially the NASDAQ side, it's done even better, but Right now where we're at is there's another kind of 4% move. So now every X or O in this chart is a 2% move. So when you see kind of an, an X move up potentially a little bit higher, um, these are, again, and Brian Belsky from the BMO conference has a much different viewpoint of this. I think he was, what, 50, 300 or something he was calling. Mm -hmm. I don't quote me on that, but 
much more bullish there based on, on different criteria. But all we're trying to do here is just, hey, what's our upside? Um, and what we see is about an 8% upside toward this prior high at 48.45, which historically any prior high is a significant level of resistance. It's a very hard one to move above because you have to say, hey, the market's in a better place than ever been historically um, from all these valuations. And a lot of times it, it fails at that level where it might provide a false move up and then right back down like we saw in, in 2018, 2019 here. So again, we can learn through the history by looking at these charts for different time periods like that. But the downside for the first support level is about the same potential up or down. And that's again, kind of wishy-washy, but at the same point, you know, we, we are saying that there's still that potential going up. Um, and it's just on like kind of that subdued um, kind of outlook in, in a way based on everything else we just talked about to this point. Now, if you look at the NASDAQ, it has the same downside potential around that 8% level, but it's got another 16% upside till it hits its prior high. This was very interesting when I did this chart because it's been up so much this year, you would think it's, you know, bound to kind of reverse back down, but this is the power of relative strength and kind of looking at it independently of what else is going on saying, okay, it had such a tough 2022 where it fell down that much that it has more room to move and more to recover till it kind of breaks that level. So again, we're pretty bullish, as you saw, in all our rankings, information technology and the NASDAQ are still the place to be. You need that exposure going forward. However, um, obviously there's some heightened expectations um, there, but you know, you look at any um, NVIDIA or, or something like that, and it doesn't make sense to you why the price is so high versus their P ratios and things like that, but they continue to move higher, right? Um, last time I looked at it for a client, it was up 120%. Now it's up over 2 to 10% in the year, right? So it continues to outperform and, and move higher and higher. And that this put into some perspective to me and hopefully a takeaway from today of there's still some room to move here. So if you're very bearish on technology, you know, this is maybe a little counter to say, okay, there there might still be some room to run. But again, you should expect the summer and all those to have a pullback. It, it rarely goes back up. I mean, just look at here in, in March, which is kind of hard to see in here, there's going to be a pullback and then hopefully support that, that hold and, and continues uh, upwards uh, as you're going forward. So just a couple price levels to look at. And again, I, th I think, I think this also lets you manage your risk. So at yeah. least you're going in with your eyes open. And, and uh, for those who can't see the chart, you should have a look at it, but <clears throat> you know, there's a, a support area put in where that would be your point where you'd say, Hey, maybe I'm wrong. And you stop yourself out or you would reduce the position. And there's an amount between your entry level and that point, and then the entry level and your price target. Yep. Um, and you have to have some means to sort of calculate those. And when you can put estimates around there, then you can sort of see, do I have a three to one profit factor, one to one profit factor, right? So how much am I putting at risk versus how much am I going to gain? And you usually want to see something where your expectation is, you know, two to 3%. You're not always going to get that. In fact, you probably get lower than that because you've got to take your losses into consideration along the way. But that framework of, you know, sizing the position, looking at the potential downside and the potential upside is what can create, I think, a tremendous amount of value when managing portfolios. Jesus, that, that 2020 run is just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at that. It's just like, straight up. It's one, one X after another. Well, for, you want to for... see something like that, throw Bitcoin on there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. X is for days. Yeah.
And a lot of it was right after that, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. They, they, they come in, they come they in bunches. <laughs> and then, and then again, I mean, just again, just to the same point, like, look at the, you know, look at the, the, the run of X's this year, right? I mean, if you go to the far, far right and you see that, that's that string of X's. Yep. And I think something else to be uh, just mindful of if we haven't explained it. So the, each box is 2%. Yeah. And it's a three box reversal chart. Correct. So yep. you do have to have three boxes to reverse the current sort of trend. So in the NASDAQ sense, you would be looking at, you know, sort of a 6% drawback to put O's in charge or that downward pressure in charge versus the X's in the upward pressure. And so that, you know, again, it, get, it takes away a lot of the noise, if you will, to try and clarify the direction, the support levels um, and things like that. So the point and figure methodology does a wonderful job of, I think, you know, clarifying, reducing the noise. And it's okay that your estimates are going to be wrong, right? If we're looking at the NASDAQ and we said, okay, supports at 12,000 and the, yeah. you know, the targets at 15 and change, those are just estimates. You're just going into the game with a game plan. You don't know what's going to happen when, you know, they, they blow the whistle and kick the ball off. But you know, you know where you are in the field, you know the percentage chance you have on this play, and you run the play. Sometimes you get sacked, sometimes you get a touchdown. Um, but again, it, it gives you a framework for which you can look through and have a game plan, which I think is incredibly important. Yeah, great point about the, the short term or the three box reversal. That's exactly what we're doing to eliminate yeah. the short term noise. So again, that's one of the strengths of the point figure market. If you look at candlestick, HLC line, just any basic chart out there and there's nothing wrong with that e either but there is a lot of noise in that chart especially if really there's nothing that happened a point and figure chart for a, a cash product is very boring usually because it just kind of goes flat and there's nothing no movement there the value is when you compare that cash to something like this where you can see different time periods that yeah you want to be in that so uh yeah there's there's value and there's disadvantages on on any kind of charting system but um you know, one of the things that visually, you know, you can do in here is hopefully see some of those upsides and those levels in a, a little different kind of view, especially when you look at a longer term view. Most of these charts we're looking at, we're looking at like 10 years of history, right? Um, sometimes more, right. sometimes less based on their volatility, but it, it puts that into perspective. We have to learn from history, but we don't want to over rely on it either. This is the Russell 2000s. So we're looking at much more of the U.S. breadth. You can see how much noisier this chart is and how much more range, range bound. We don't see that big move up in X's that we just looked at uh, recently, at least. We still see it 2020, of course. Um, but over the last couple of years, it's been nothing but kind of back and forth, back and forth. You know, is this a spring ray to unload? I don't, yeah. I don't think so to the same level we looked at the TLT um, because there's some significant resistance right above. And, and maybe again, since I've annotated this a week ago, there might have been a move up. I, I don't know, but... Again, there's not a lot of upside. There's a lot of resistance level that kind of has to get through. It's not as bullish of a looking chart um, than some of the other ones we've looked at. Doesn't mean there's still not potential there. Um, and you see this big green line kind of showing the overall trend of the chart just overall. We don't factor that in too much, but it's just, again, another viewpoint and kind of 45 degree angle of overall that the trend that you would like to see and that move up. And it does provide a little bit of support kind of at these different levels. Um, even even more so again, you, you usually see it kind of bouncing off of those levels on its on its move up over time. So if we see a move back down below it, it might kind of historically average right a, a right around there as we move forward. 
It's a, it's an uptrend, but it's a grinder, isn't it? I mean, you just, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you gotta you, be patient you, with that if, and just let it, let it be just like rip Van Winkle on that thing because you, <laughs> well, there, yeah, back to fourteen fifteen, and you're still sort of marginally above the levels. Can we talk here about uh -oh. this now looking at Canada, the Canadian chart and the S&P and TSX composite index. And again, not as bullish of a looking chart, right? We're very range bound. We're kind of bouncing back between 19, you know, 150 to 21, 140, right? And, you know, kind of back and forth, a little bit weaker of an SMAX, which is a kind of short-term outlook score. Again, with energy and materials kind of underperforming commodities that is a general, like we would rather be in the US over Canada. If that's one takeaway from what you're listening today, it's, you can kind of see it in the charts visually and, and anybody that looks at those charts would kind of be like, yeah, why am I overbetting on Canada here when, you know, the US and the NASDAQ just have potentially more opportunity going, going forward. Now, all this could change. Obviously charts change every day. Um, but from a, again, a long-term perspective, most of the things that we're looking at here today are kind of a six to 18 month outlook. And then these Desmax scores are more kind of a one to three month or, or less kind of outlook. It's more short term just to help us understand it, the current kind of trend. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's all kind of longer term and, you know, Canada just doesn't look as good as the U.S. does. And we saw that on, on how many charts today so far. Yeah. So 6% of upside and 8% of downside potential. Exactly. Yeah. So wow. not, not something I'm betting my life savings on right now. Um, however, the international side looks a little bit better. Again, still that 6% mm -hmm. downside. Most of the charts you see here today will have that kind of, um, you know, 6 to 8% downside. That's just kind of how we measure our first support level based on a three box reversal. That's why you'll, you'll see that kind of always on there, but it has another kind of 10 to 12% upside here going forward. I'm not going to actually spend too much time on this chart because I, I do want to get in for the sake of time of two, two countries I looked at. For opportunity um, here going forward and, and our top performing um, ETF so far on the geographic kind of standpoint, all the G20 countries and kind of the 25 biggest economies out there, Argentina is at the top of our list right now from a relative strength standpoint. And this chart is, is at new all-time highs and it's continued to push new all-time highs here going forward. They're well known for their resources, which is kind of almost counterproductive of what we just were talking about, how that's been underappreciated those sectors have beaten up, but they're a powerhouse right now in, in South America and agriculture, energy, metals and mining, manufacturing, and they just continue to outperform. And again, um, even since kind of look at this kind of breakout that it had um, in January of this year, right? So it's moved to new all-time highs in, in January, continued to push up with a pullback in March, but that trend, that direction has been all, all one way so far. So, you know, definitely if you're like, if you have international exposure and, you know, whatever manager or whatever ETF you're in has some of the Argentina exposure, that's, that's a great one. We looked at Mexico and, um, one of our charts that don't have it in here as well. Again, a good looking manufacturing kind of sector improving. And, uh, the other one I looked at here was, um, India again, doesn't rank as highly yeah. in our system, but you're starting to see more news articles, more, yeah. more things. I mean, they, they're now the largest company in the world by population. Um, if you look at their demographic population, you know, 40% of their population, which is the world's largest now, is under 25. So they have a young population, a growing population, and manufacturing jobs are starting to move to that company. So we see kind of this potential breakout. This doesn't look as nice of a chart as Argentina, the World Index, and some of the other ones, but just from a foundation um, from the, the company, we see Apple already committing to move production there. Other technology companies either have or will fall suit. 
as the geopolitical tension with China ongoes, and you guys probably know a lot more about that than, than I do. But again, from a point figure standpoint, it's more the same kind of um, standpoint. We start seeing it move up the ranks. We start seeing a really big potential breakout pattern here. Um, you know, the more kind of resistance level that it can move above and it's, you know, it's prior highs are not that far away um, from a t potential breakout. So this one's a little bit earlier than I would usually talk about it from a charting standpoint, because you like to see those trends develop, but just something to keep an eye on and definitely a country with potential. The emerging markets have been underperforming and developed so far this year, but we're starting to see that trend maybe catch up with the rest of the market, uh, world economies, and, and our, our system does a really well job of hopefully helping you find which international markets are things to spend more time on, do more research on. So those are kind of two quick takeaways from today. Uh, Mexico, India, um, Argentina, some of these countries are trending in the right direction and, and you want to keep it up. It might not all be realized right away, um, but those trends usually, you know, or decade trend, those are short-term trends of, um, you know, manufacturing, moving and then growing in, in different segments of the market. So, so Paul, how do you distinguish? Cause this chart looks very, I mean, it's not similar to Canada, but the upside downside going forward. Sure. Um, totally different SMAC score, obviously seven versus three. Yep. But, but if you look at the red and, and green boxes, they look the same, right? I mean, you have, you have three, three boxes of upside and yep. five boxes of downside. How does it, how does the, uh, how do you differentiate between like, if you're just looking at the red box, green box, um, similarity, how do you differentiate, uh, between what, you know, Canada has to offer and what India has to offer right now? I know it's two totally different for sure. Um, but if you're just looking at the charts, um, yep. there's obviously a lot of, you know, pro India stuff happening right now. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, India, India had nothing but problems in the early years of, of the Modi, uh, government, but, yep. uh, that seems to have reversed with, with, uh, you know, the recent trend with China and of course, uh, you know, the Ukraine conflict and India's stance on, on that and India's stance on weapons, you know, on, on defense and, yep. uh, has softened a little bit, maybe, you know, I, I think, um, but trade has definitely started to look like it's opening up, Absolutely. But, sorry, I, I'm interested in, in, Can in uh, how you would differentiate between the two, the two up down outlooks sure. that you have. So this one, since we kind of have a negative short-term outlook, what we look at is kind of those resistance and support levels. Right. So the upside potential is only to the first resistance level for Canada because of the short-term kind of weakness. And then we draw down to the second support level. Uh, so that's why it has a little bit more downside than upside. Um, looking at the NASDAQ or something like that, why there was a lot more green potential was it, it instead reverses. I'm just going to go back to that one just because the, the difference is bigger. It's easier to see visually. Um, we see that upside potential, that 16% we were talking about because it has positive short-term outlook and kind of positive ranking overall from a long-term standpoint. So that's why we're instead of going down to the second support level like I did in Canada, why we're actually yeah. moving up to the second resistance level. So this is all subjective. This is actually a tool we built for our own system that I don't think is actually out there. We call it our price objective. Uh, and we have a bullish and a bearish one and, and kind of unique to what we do just to help kind of display a point figure chart. Like what's, how do you actually read this? And so we found that that was one of the best ways to just visualize it of, hey, here's my upside and here's my downside. I can, I can, I know green and red, right? 
Um, and then yeah. you might see it's a little bit hard to see. There's a yellow kind of orange line here of where the current price is. So that's where I draw the line right in the middle of where it's moving. So if I go back to India, um, that's why the the kind of mark is a little bit above it because it's actually moved. The price is above this resistance level, but it hasn't done it enough to break out. So that's why there's um, it's a little bit above that line. It's just because it's about to break out, but it hasn't yeah, moved above yeah. that 3109 level as the time I annotated this a week ago. Um, but the, the confirmation this. is the SMAX. Yep. Yeah, the SMAX and right. its relationship okay. as a whole. Um, so that's kind of how we determine the kind of longer short-term outlook. The other thing that, um, <clears throat> go back to Argentina for us just sure. for a moment, because I think it demonstrates one of the one of the views that we were talking about earlier in that when an, an asset, stock, commodity, country exceeds its previous all-time high, it means that nobody is at a loss for that particular security. It means also that that security is going through some sort of cash flows to that security and a mindset that the market is saying it's worth what it's never been worth before. Yeah. And that is something that behaviorally is a challenge for some people to invest in, but it shouldn't be. Right. And you can, you can see here, you provided a breakout opportunity and then a pullback opportunity. And then it sets up to the previous breakout opportunity three yep. times, then breaks that. Yep. Um, so it's a, it's a very orderly chart at the moment. There is an orderly uptrend happening. It has broken out new highs. So something like Argentina and Mexico to me and India, all three of these names are from a, from a, you know, we're going to make up a narrative to match the story we're seeing. So I'm going to make up the narrative that this is a reshoring and a re a re-engineering of supply yeah. change to countries that are closer, both geographically and closer aligned with, um, interests of the West firstly. And then secondly, that are, um, um, uh, less aligned or, or less vulnerable to the influence of China and the military uh, buildup that's going on there, whether we're talking everything from semiconductors to lithium. And, and so when you see um, this type of pattern, like in Argentina, where you have a clear and concise breakout and pullback, um, you know, you've got a lot of opportunities to put risk management in. Now, you know, at the moment, would you put on a full position? If I'm speculating or looking at it myself, I'd say, no, I'd probably, oh, I didn't see it. I'd have, you could have orders in the, in the $42 range to get it on a pullback with a nice stop in the 37 or the 34, or have an accumulation that occurs in, in some sort of pullback. But you've got a fundamental story there that also jives with a school of fish. It's not just one fish. Yeah. It's not just Argentina. It's Argentina and Mexico and India. I wonder kind of what the rest of the complex looks like, Brazil, Peru, those types of things, to see if this, how, how broad the school of fish has gotten, if you will, to, to, to use another analogy. But just to come back to what Paul was talking about earlier, about breaking to new highs, those things should not be things that you're scared of. Those are things that you probably should be very paying attention to and then working around to establish positions in your portfolio and, and you know, kind of let the price do the talking. Absolutely. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, the last time we talked, 
you know, the, the talk of the town was France, right? And now, since then, I mean, there's been this significant breakout um, in Argentina. And again, you know, if, if you were paying attention to the various signals that you'd get from, uh, you know, SIA charts, um, you'd, you'd be able to identify that. But, but if you were just going along, you know, the, the traditional, you know, following, you know, traditional local and, and, uh, American news, you might, you might've completely missed out on that, missed that boat. Don't sleep on France. On... France is hitting a new high no. too, bro. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> but that, but these France are, these, is these are all the highs too. I'm just, you know, whatever these, saying. these are the surprises, right? I mean, yeah, these course. are the surprises where, where of you see course. these, you know, you see this map and you see these signals that you wouldn't have ordinarily looked at. Yeah. I mean, how many people own a portfolio of Argentina, Poland, Mexico, Italy, France, Spain, and the Netherlands? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Not, I, not I think, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Well, I think it also goes to the, to the crux of, of active management through some sort of framework that you can parse these types of, um, informations coming at you. If you don't have a framework, then what are you doing? You have no ability to yeah. see these things happening. Um, so the ability for active management to try and, uh, complement what else is going on beyond the NASDAQ, um, I think that's the times we live in. We are, we are moving <clears throat> now, you know, granted lately us equity reigns supreme again, it's number one on the charts. Okay, yeah. fine. You got me, but, <laughs> but at some point that may change and you should yeah. behooves one to kind of keep an eye on what's going on in the broader rest of the world. As there's lots of demographics at play in all of these different nations, there's lots of um, global forces, whether that's reshoring to closer places that have a bit more reliable relationship. Although Argentina is an interesting one. But anyway, yeah, um, for sure. it's, right. it is, it is absolutely a bit of fun, but Hey, this is where the money's flowing. So, you know, you, you, you're better not off. Even not, radar, not even on my radar. Not even on, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is it's fresh, right? Just, and think about yeah. it from, from the perspective of an Argentina, you're, you're talking about um, a country's, you know, granted we're, we're measuring it in, in USD, which is fine because it's a U.S. um, uh, ETF. But you're, you're talking about going back to the, in its existence, it's at all time highs and it's in a very orderly sort of stepwise fashion where, you know, these things are kind of occurring, you know, pay, pay attention. Yeah. Hey, to your point, Mike, uh, your question about the other fish. In the, you know, yep. what was Brazil in the teens and Peru is in the teens as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mid teens. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and then there's Not the U S there's the U S right there at 15%. So, yeah. you know, as much as everyone, and then you got Peru and, and Japan, Japan, Mexico, that, what's Mexico. You know, we've, we've been, uh, it's up Mexico's, there. Mexico's Mexico's another three. surprise. Yeah. yeah. Number three. Well, FLMX it, flummox. It, it, it actually makes sense though. <laughs> It does make sense. FLMX. I'm you, flummoxed yeah. by Mexico. <laughs> if you think about the reshoring and the flow of capital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting area that I think, you know, most people are not going to be aware of and, and build in differentiated. So what we have is dispersion. We have a set of outcomes yeah. Yeah. that is a bit different than the last decade. And so we have greater dispersion across all of these asset classes, countries, and things like that. So. <laughs> If you're an active manager and you're constantly going through um, your deck regularly, you're seeing things happen in real time. 
Are they all going to work? No, they're not. But you're putting your present your your opportunity of success in your favor if you believe in trend and relative strength and those types of things, which is kind of generally the, you know, the factor that is trying to be harnessed. I think um, using the these methodologies. So I mean, it, it's um, you know meaningful to know. Absolutely. Um, kind of just to finish off the the conversation here. Oh God, not crude oil. Yeah, Look at oil. it. It's no, terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much more time, but maybe we can go pretty fast through this. Sure. But, um, mm. you know, crude oil go for it. Is, is pretty, um, obviously been on this downward trend all year long, but it seems to be actually like holding at this 65 kind of 66 level out uh, throughout the year. And, and definitely that trading range between 66, 83, obviously, it's back up even higher than than uh, this is displaying as of today, um, but still overall it's been in dragging versus every other commodity and then the place to be for the most part. Um, but definitely a forecasting, and then most forecasts that you you read out there are going to have a much higher price um, forecast by the end of the year. You, you can read whichever one you want, but they're usually in the eighties, between high seventies and eighties. So again, that kind of lines up with what we're seeing. Um, but again, when that breakdown. If that breakdown does happen, um, it could, again, looks like there's a little bit more support, but if I drew another one below this, it would be much lower. It'd be at 50, right? So that's the kind right. of downward potential that we could see. Um, I threw in gold here as well, because it's again, pretty similar to that U S dollar chart that we looked at, uh, continues to pull back, continues to, to weaken. Um, if we look at the SMX score, it's probably changed since, uh, this as well and continues to kind of move towards, you know, this level. So, you know, when it was retesting, this is a good example of, again, you talked about a mic as well, of like when things are moving to new highs and this was approaching it, yeah, not quite the, the 2020 level of uh, warrior fear, but it, it moved right off of this and then pulled right back down. It was almost, you know, could have put money on it, right? Like it was, yeah. um, it was just how these, these turrets, especially commodities seem to really work well with, um, point figure charting, which is interesting. Um, and so we're seeing it tested at that 1900 level. And if it breaks through that again, we're looking at another thousand dollar, um, you know, move, which is another 10%, uh, down to that 18 a week kind of level. So again, just putting a little bit in perspective of that's the kind of, uh, potential where we could see going downwards. Copper is not too much. Uh, okay, yeah. Going mean, back, this, is, this is, yeah, but I think it's fascinating because again, pebbles on the scale. So you've got oil yep. downtrend. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Do, are we have, are we global strength? Is is the global economy humming along? It, it's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. So the transport's breaking out, but um, oil is breaking down, um, and we've had intervention by the Saudis cutting production and whatnot to try and hold in this price level, which is an interesting pebble to think about as we decide where it goes on the scale. Then you've got gold. I had lots of contentious arguments with folks. In the beginning part of this year, where you're where you're you're having major uh, bank it, banks not major you're having pretty major banks fail, you're having systemic financial events. Yet gold couldn't break out. I know, and yeah. and several yeah. people were saying it's broken out, and I'm like, that's not a it's it hasn't. Uh, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit pedantic, but when you need to see the new high, you know, a one x new high is fine, and you've got to walk that. You know, do I take a position early? Do I take it on the first breakout and add? Do I wait till it has a substantial breakout? All of these these things, you know, bringing um, the art into the the science of it. But it it didn't, and I kept trying to say to people, it hasn't. 
and we have a set of circumstances where one would expect or one could fathom that that probably should should force a new high and when it didn't that's the kind of thing where you tilt your head and say well i guess it's back to the drawing board for a little while on gold i mean it, it yeah. does set up the next new high at that you know 2100 level whatever whatever it is um but you know that will be an even better breakout at that point down the road if and when it, it occurs um, but it's one of those things where, you know, being patient, trying not to guess the completion of the pattern beforehand is, you know, something to consider. You can do that. Absolutely. You can do it all the ways. There's, there's all kinds of recipes. You just, you know, make sure you have your, your, uh, your, your risk tolerance, um, on each trade, uh, calibrated, but you know, um, gold's one thing. And then we've got oil and copper you're going through. So all of these are fundamental to economic traditional economic global growth. Now yep. we've got all kinds of AI and tech growing and that's, that's a different thing, but you know, these aren't particularly positive for the narrative of, you know, solid global growth. And this one, you know, probably more yeah. tied to emerging markets in China, just because there was all those expectations yeah. at the end of the year that China was going to outperform and the demand yeah. would be back. And guess what? Subtle flows of, that not happening have continued to, to hamper copper kind of going forward. And, um, you know, Dr. Copper is, is kind of in the middle of the pack and then really weak kind of short-term outlook and that can change, but it's not something again, that I'd want to bet my money on at this time. And then look how extreme natural gas is, right? We have this huge drawdown yeah. beginning of the year down over 40%, um, yeah, year to date. And that even with a big upwards move in June and into mm -hmm. July, right? Again. You can see this kind of bounce back and forth range bound. Now there is some elements that look like it's going to help it move back above this level at some point here, including a little bit hotter summer on record, El Nina, I think, don't quote me on that, mm -hmm. um, you know, forecast and then hotter days, kind of more AC, more um, demand there. And also, um, you know, the Dutch announcing closing their largest gas field in Europe is going to affect supply here going forward. So. You know, there is some things here in the short term to potentially see this bounce back, but it's still an area that's drastically underperformed. I mean, look at that Paris rate of being a short natural gas and long the NASDAQ. That would have been, uh, you know, pretty good kind of call. It's a good <laughs> Texas hedge right there. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. and the, but those are the things that, yeah, maybe it seems obvious in the, in the long run, but at the same time, there is these signals breaking down. If you would have looked at this level right here at 515, once it broke down below that, you're talking about all the way down at 360, all the way down here, even further as kind of what could happen. And, and that's what did happen. We wouldn't have necessarily predicted that um, extreme either, but um, Monty's tend to have a little bit more extreme kind of moving where, where did forward. Your, Paul, where did, your signal, um, where did your signal come in to exit from natural gas? Do you have anything on that or? Uh, yeah, let me pull it up yeah. here. Just curious, just just... So people can understand that, sure. that, you know, that signal was put out by you or, you know, by SIA charts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's also very, very important to point out that natural gas should probably only be traded by very, <laughs> very professional traders. Yeah. You're talking about an yep. asset class with a vol of infinity almost. If, <laughs> if you think yeah. Bitcoin and, and, and shit coins have some volatility, <laughs> let me introduce you to natty gas. Yeah. It is 
an insane asset class. So just for as a warning for everybody, just for I, I just want to see for posterity if it's <laughs> no, no, know, I what, get, I absolutely yeah, yeah. get that. It's all, good. but you know, you're absolutely right, Mike. It's crazy. So here's our ranking of natural gas, where it's only yeah. now moved into the green all year long into November when it was at six twenty eight, um, and so that's even before that breakdown that I talked about at five fifteen. It was in the red zone of our commodity report, which is probably the the cleanest way to show that we didn't like it. Um, and then even that was a brief period between, you know, 670 and dropping right back out at 628. So brief period of potential and then, you know, unbiasedly got out of it at 628, saved all that drawdown all yeah. the way to, to $2. And, and again, that's just based on comparing other areas of commodities, other futures contracts against each other. And yeah, we'd rather be in cocoa and well, oats that's, and cattle. <laughs> Mike, I, you know, Mike, that's pretty awesome too, right? Look at that. I mean, you have, oh, yeah. you have all the contracts that you can analyze. Don't I know it? I, hey, it was, yeah. it was the Mocha Java trade. We, 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 yeah. we did well on coffee, cocoa, and sugar uh, this year. <laughs> Changing a little bit, but all good. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, this is hard to understand for most normal uh, advisors or clientele out there. Mm -hmm. So. You know, one of the things we've tried to do is simplify commodities into a, just a basic commodity strategy. So we created this uh, commodity um, model, and maybe this is where I'm, I'll finish off. I don't, I don't really have anything sure. else prepared. And I know we've uh, been talking a while like we usually do. Um, so hopefully this loads in a, in a couple seconds. But it, it's just a kind of a basic, hey, what if I had some ex commodity exposure and just looked at it four times a year? Uh, so we created this ETF commodity model. And again, I think we're in sugar. I think we're in, you know, some of these ones that you might not always be in, but yeah, has very low vol and just tries to outperform, you know, the overall commodity market. Yeah, something's going on. So we'll be able to quite show it here today, but um, let me refresh. Well, it. that's amazing. I, I, I think it's amazing that you, that you also have the uh, futures contracts in your, in your available in, in your tool. Yep. So, you know, for anyone who wants to look at, you know, what any given commodity is doing, yep. it's right there. I mean, I know, you know, you, you already covered it by showing, you know, some of the charting on gas and gold and, and oil, uh, crude oil, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to, you know, um, make a connection between the stocks the mutual funds, the ETFs and, and the actual underlying components. Yeah. So I think that wraps up pretty much our summer outlook. It's Lots great. the the hopefully awesome. and uh, nibble on and and um, as Mike said, like a couple pebbles to think about and help uh, analyze kind of where we go going forward. You know, obviously the, the the summer is you know ripe with opportunities, but also we want to do be a little subdued, a little cautious going forward. And I I kind of think the headwinds are going to meet us in in the last quarter of the year. So it'd be interesting to maybe do this again for the the kind of last quarter Q four of what's our outlook there going forward. How did how did this analysis we talked about today come to fruition or um, or some major changes that obviously happen all the time? I, I like how we covered, you know, the most loved assets and the most hated all in the same discussion, because, you know, if you want to know where the most hated assets are, we just, <laughs> we just covered it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, if, you know, you know, those are some of the areas to think about pro probably, uh, probably rebalancing into. Exactly taking some money off the, uh, the big winners table and putting them over to some of the biggest losers.
at the very least. I mean, something to consider. Absolutely. Yeah. And expanding the winners, Argentina, baby. There you go. Yeah. Let's go. That, that was the big, I think, I think that was the big <laughs> surprise of our, our conversation was Argentina, <laughs> just, uh, you know, and Mexico and, and India are, are probably some, some of the, you know, the, uh, underdogs that, that, you know, people haven't been paying attention to. Yeah. Developed Europe has uh, been at all. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Developed Europe's developed Europe has been strong, but some of these other countries, yeah. I mean, it's been under the radar. You don't hear about them on the, the daily news. Not at all. I mean, India. Yeah. But, but Argentina hasn't really, I, I haven't heard it. I mean, my you know, kind of, Argentina, I have not heard. I mean, Japan, yeah. um, some of the developed yeah. Europe. What, what's so interesting is that, you know, we, we talk about those often as just places that you can achieve diversification, slightly different business model, um, slightly different economic sensitivities, and uh, just gets met with generally very deaf ears because it is either the big eight or the U.S. or, yeah. you know, some sort of Canadian bank, oil and gas combination. Um, but, you know, but, oh, outside of market cap weighted indices and things like that. But this is, this is the, you know, I think this worth the, the extra work in, um, especially now with increased dispersion across a number of asset classes, both geographically and then across the asset classes themselves, whether that's stocks, commodities, currencies, bonds, there's a lot going on and it's not, yeah. you know, it's not your 2010 to 2020 market. There is much more going on under the surface that you need to be aware of, and the dispersion offers opportunity for outperformance. And so have a framework to be able to dissect that and position yourself for that as we go through. I think that is key message for everybody at this time. Always, always a pleasure connecting, Paul. Look forward to uh, next yeah. quarter, too. And Pierre, you guys, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much for Enjoyed your that, insight. Paul. Thank you. That was, that was a really great great conversation i think there was a lot tons of uh f you know takeaways and food for thought here perfect tricky tricky time and make sure should we should we have paul do a thing on where you know sia charts and all that stuff blah 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 yeah paul where where can people where find can you where can people find sia charts uh you can find us on twitter linkedin is mostly where we are but um you can just go to sicharts.com and uh, we're a great market intelligence platform for financial licensed financial advisors. And yeah, we just try to help you raise your average, right? Pretty simple. Try to provide portfolio management software. And uh, as you saw, a lot of the rankings and, and analysis, we're a little bit more on the technical side, but, you know, we're trying to incorporate more of that overall market intelligence as we go forward. So yeah, thanks again so, so much for having me on and looking forward to hopefully the next one. I, I, you know, just in closing, I, I think, I think advisors who, you know, come to the realization of what, what it is that you do, what you're providing. I think the, the thing that I feel like I get excited about is, is the agnostic aspect of what you do that, that it isn't just, it isn't an opinion. It's, it's, you know, it's based on your empirical evidence and, uh, your framework. It's so, so if you don't have a framework, you know, this is, this is a really easy way to adopt a framework and, and, uh, you know, bring some order to what you're doing if you don't already have some. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, we try to simplify technical analysis into, yeah, here, what's, what's the risk of the market? Where's, where's those opportunities for outperformance? How do I want to be best positioned? 
even if that is as boring as cash or utilities, right? Sometimes that's going to be where you need to be um, to, to or, protect. Or, yeah. Or, you know, even at a very simple level, if you're just looking for ideas, yeah. like Absolutely. interesting new ideas that you haven't, that, that aren't in your consciousness. Uh, always a surprise, Paul. I love, great having you. Look forward to our next update. Perfect. Well, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Mike. And thanks to thanks, all our guys. listeners. Listen, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.